Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. Got a really good Figured Out Baseball podcast today that I'm excited for. Uh, it's a guy whose name I've known for a long time, but recently just have gotten to know him a little bit. We've got Nick Puccio on the call today. He's an assistant coach at Northeastern University, a Division One school in Boston, Massachusetts, also in the Colonial Athletic Association. Um, he coaches the offense as well as uh, handles a lot of the recruiting there at Northeastern. I'll give you some more of Nick's background before we jump into questions with him. Uh, collegiately, he played at Dean College, which is currently a Division three, but at the time it was a junior college in Franklin, Massachusetts. Then he finished his playing career at Fitchburg State. Uh, in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Got his first college coaching job as an assistant coach at Southeastern Community College, a junior college in Burlington, Iowa. He was there in 2011. From 2012 and 2013, he was an assistant coach at Wheaton College, Division Three school in Norton, Massachusetts. While he was there, the team went to the NCAA Division Three tournament both seasons. The 2012 team went to the College World Series and actually lost in the championship game. From 2014 through 18, he was the head coach at Nichols College, Division Three school in Dudley, Massachusetts. The 2014 team, his first season there, won six games. By two, by 2016, just a couple years later, they set the school record with 24 wins. In five seasons at Nichols College, he coached 19 all-conference players and two guys that went on to play pro ball. Did such a good job there that in October 2018, he was hired as an assistant coach at Northeastern, where he has been since. Uh, Nick, I appreciate you being on the podcast with us today. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on. So I typically like to start with something that stands out from your bio. There's a couple places I'd like to start, um, but I'll kind of begin it with this. Your first college coaching job was at Southeastern Community College in Burlington, Iowa. I was there a couple years before you were, so we obviously have the head coach there, Justin Schulte, in common. He told me a little bit about what happened when you were at Nichols College, just kind of how you really changed a lot of things there, not only with the baseball team, but kind of with the whole athletic department. Um I don't know if it's a fair place to start or not. Might might get a little bit deep here. We might be here for a while, but it's a, it's a really interesting thing to me because it's, this is a conversation I've had with some other people for for various reasons. But would you, uh, assuming you know what I'm talking about, would you mind talking a little bit about just what uh, how things were within the athletic department with the baseball team when you got to Nichols College when you first got there, and and kind of how things evolved and changed by the time that you left. Yeah, so I mean, when when you know I was hired at Nichols, um, you know it, it it wasn't a great job, right? Um, it, it wasn't full time. Obviously, no benefits. There there was no um, tradition of winning. You know, it, it was it was in tough shape. You know, I, I mean, the way I kind of put it is the program was on life support almost, right? Um, and and I viewed it as an opportunity, you know, to get some head coaching experience. You know, I was still young at the time. I think I was still 27 years old. Um, so, uh, again, like I went into it and, and basically went into it with a mindset of, hey, I'm going to make this job work. We're going to work really hard at it. Um, and, and, and let's see what we can do over the course of time. And, you know, when, when within two weeks, I, I, you know, I was able to meet with the vice president of the school and talk about my vision. Uh, I was able to meet with, with, with the president as well. And, you know, it, you know, they basically make the job full time. And, you know, and, and again, I got really lucky with that because at 27, I'm probably not getting that job if it's if it's posted at full time, right? Like, um, so it, 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 I got I got really lucky with that. But we also talked about you know our vision and what was that vision? You know, I, I came from a place of you know we had a lot of success it, it, when I was an assistant at Wheaton, when I was an assistant at Southeastern, we had a ton of success as well. And and you see how things are done and you see the things that you need to have a successful baseball program. And, and again, I think the number one thing it starts with is, is recruiting. And, you know, Nichols is a small division three institution in a small town in central Massachusetts. And, you know, it's really enrollment driven, meaning like, you know, you're, you're those, those tuition, that tuition that's paid as a school, uh, to the school, it basically runs it year to year. So when you go into places like that and you start talking about, um, bringing in bodies and bringing in a lot of kids, um, you know, you're, you're, you get them excited, 
you know. So our first recruiting class was 2014. I want to say we had 20, we brought in 27 or 28 kids, um, you know, that first year. And, you know, again, I think that we, you know, talking about going back to Southeastern, you always, we we recruited a lot of kids. And I think that's helped me now um, as a, as a division one assistant where it's, I can handle a lot of names. We can handle a lot of names. Well, that's what we had to do at the division three level. That's what we had to do at the junior college level, um, to really filter through and get your number. So we brought in a whole new roster and, you know, again, like it, 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 there's, there's some growing pains when you're playing. You know, our first, our first year with our recruits, you know, even though we take a step back in 2014, um, you know, we played a lot of the younger guys that we thought had a future in the program. So, you know, we, we took some licks with those guys. In 2015, we did it again. We took more licks because we played a lot of our a lot of our recruits who we thought were the future of the program. Um, and then by 2016, uh, you know, it, those guys were sophomores, but realistically, they were like juniors and seniors because of their experience. And they played a tough schedule. We always played a tough schedule. You know, and, and, and that's, that's what I believe in. And that's where I come from. I think my time at Wheaton, we always played one of the best schedules in the country. My time at Southeast, our early weekends were always tough junior colleges. And you, you see that we played that. And yet early in our, early in our program, we took some licks and some things that we weren't quite ready for, but it really helped us. I felt like be successful once 2016 rolled around um, and, and, and those guys were really ready for anything. You know, 2016 happened a lot quicker than I anticipated. You know, I didn't think we'd, we'd be a 24-win program that quickly, um, but I think a lot of that was just we had a good group of guys that, that you know, basically believe in our vision. They experienced a lot earlier in their careers and they were ready to, they were ready to compete. You know, so by doing so, you know, by, by doing those things, we're able to bring in more money. We fundraised a bunch for staffing so I could have some assistance, um, you know, through running camps and those types of things. So, um, I, by the end of it, I, I felt like we, you know, we had, we, we, I feel like we left the program in really good shape when, when I left in 2018. Um, and, and a lot of it just came from, you know, it, having a vision, basically develop, you know, delivering on that vision. Um, and, and allowed us to, you know, to, to leave the market we did. Can you talk a little bit about what those conversations were like with the president, vice president of the college when you first got there? I'm particularly interested to know what the conversation was like um, when that job became full-time. Did it become full-time because of your vision, or was, was it part of their vision as well? Like, hey, we'll make this full-time if you're willing to commit to this. I just, I'm kind of curious what that what the conversation was like early on and who sort of drove it to be what, what it was. Yeah, so I, I think the biggest piece, too, and something I left out um, was our, our dean of admissions was also included in this. And Nichols being such a small school, you know, our dean of admissions is our tennis coach. Um, you know, and, and then our, our director of enrollment, um, he, he I, I, I was able to meet with him for 10 minutes. He goes to our, our dean of admissions and our dean of admissions, you know, when he hears those types of things, he meets with me and the initial role was kind of like a combo role with admissions, right? Where like, Hey, you can help out with admissions. You're going to drive our numbers. Um, and those are actually some things that I helped with for like my first three years there. Um, you know, and we actually help us with recruiting budget and being able to go and do the things that we needed to do from a recruiting standpoint, right? But I, you know, I, I, my, my recruiting, um, approach really hasn't changed. And, and I think a lot of it stems from, 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 from being with Justin Schulte, too, where, you know, with him and Eric Podolsky was my boss at Wheaton College. Um, and then, and then obviously being, being a head coach, but it's just a relentless recruiting approach. And when you sit down and you talk about this is how we're going to recruit, we are going to be on the road all summer. Um, we, we, we're, we mapped out different avenues that we're going to get kids from, right? Whether it's high school seasons, travel ball seasons, you know, and, and this is how we're going to do it. This is, this is why we're going to do it. We're going to be handling a thousand names and those thousand names are going to come into a, you know, into a funnel basically and we're going to get 20 out of it. And yeah, I think that those are the things that really excite you know, and, and those types of people. And obviously, you know, my, my route on the whole thing is, you know, we're, listen, we're trying to win. We're trying to win a championship here. 
you know, and, and, and that's why we do this. And, you know, my vision is the same thing now and, and that we're trying to win a championship wherever we are. And, and here at Nichols, there's no reason why we can't win the championship. You know, we're going to go recruit the best players. We're going to get into recruiting battles. Maybe we're going to have to go into different areas, find some guys who, who you know, maybe aren't on the radar or some of these bigger programs um, at the Division three level. And, and you know, it, it, but it's, it's a relentless effort. You know, we've got to try every avenue to be able to, to get the guys that we need in here to be successful. Um, and, again, I, I, I don't think it goes much more outside of that, you know, and, you know, uh, uh, a young 27-year-old with, you know, what I what I think was a lot of energy uh, was was able to to you know get get a lot of people on my side throughout that process. What did your roster size look like from when you the day you took over till the day you left? How did how did that transform? Yeah, so we had we probably had about. 30 guys on our roster my, my first year, um, you know, and, and, you know, the roster obviously needed some work. Um, my, my first year, my second year with our first recruiting class, that roster looked a little bit was on the larger side, about 45 to 50 guys. And then generally we operated that way, you know, for, for the next, you know, three years where, you know, I, I just, you just never know what's going to happen, you know, especially at the division three level. And again, I go back to, you know, my, my time at Southeastern with, with you know, you're, you got guys that just might not, want, they, they, it just might not work out for whatever reason. You know, maybe they, they decide that they, 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 they lost their passion for baseball. Maybe other things become bigger pieces in their life. Um, which is fine, you know, but my mindset was, hey, you know, we, we, we got to plan and recruit as it, until those kids get on campus. You know, and then while they're here, we got to continue to recruit them because, again, we just never know. You know, I've I've had all conference kids all of a sudden. You know, just it, it, almost every stop I've been, um, all conference kids all of a sudden who just they, they lose it. You know, and obviously being Division three level, there's nothing financially as far as scholarships to tie you to that. So, you know, I, I just I, I think that we always handle handle the bigger roster. Even at the end there, we still did because we would play some, some JV games. You know, we'd play some, and again, like we wouldn't have a separate JV team. We would just play some JV games with some of those younger guys to get them some experience. And, 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 and whether it was down in Florida or maybe we would, we'd pick up a midweek game and someone would come to us. But, you know, that was, that was a big thing, you know, and, and, um, I, I think that, I, I think that again, in places like, like Nichols, um, you have to handle a, a large roster. Yeah, division three level, you know, generally division three enrollment driven institutions. You've got to handle a bigger roster because again, you don't, you, you, you want to have depth. You want to have options. I mean, I, you know, I love it from a competing standpoint too, you know, but it's just, you, you just didn't know what was going to happen year to year, you know. It's such a, an interesting dynamic and, in, in how you can kind of, change the outlook of a school and athletic department by just by you know having coming in with a a different philosophy or a philosophy you've brought from from somewhere else or just something you think can really work there and other people buy into it it's it's really cool to hear and i'm sure a lot of that um went into the success that that you all had now i like to ask this question on podcasts from time to time but i'm not sure that i've asked it to a division three coach in a podcast and not that you're a Division three coach currently, but we'll get to where you are now. But at the time, at, at Nichols, well, at, at both of the Division th- the uh, Division threes at, at Wheaton College and then at Nichols, can you kind of just tell listeners to this what th- what is the range of of a Division three recruit? And let's talk about pitchers specifically because it's easier. I think it's easier to talk about pitchers in a in a podcast because there's there's a lot of intangibles with hitters and I think with pitchers that you've but between the velocity and the size and and things of that nature like I I think you can you know compare and contrast guys from different levels. What's sort of the range of guys that you would recruit at a division 3 level? Is there, you know, maybe you talk about some of the top guys you recruited over the years and and some of the guys uh, through the years that that on paper 
or like when you go to watch them, just didn't look like they would be much, but maybe they turned out to have a pretty good career because they were good at one thing or another. Can you just kind of talk about the range of guys, the the talent levels that you see at the Division three level? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. It, it's it's really all over the map, right? You know, it it, it I don't even necessarily can't really can't even put a number on it, you know, um, because we have gone, you know, head to head. Whether I was at Wheaton College or we were at Nichols, um, we'd go head to head and, and we'd run into some Division ones on some guys, right? And um, or at least some some guys that had Division one interest, you know, maybe early in the process. Um, and, and then we'd recruit some kids that nobody was on, that nobody knew about, who might have been 77, 81. Um, but, you know, he's got some projection. He's got some upside. Might be a late bloomer. You know, he hasn't fully grown yet. He's not even shaving. And, and next thing you know, that kid's 87, 89 and, and closing games out for you on the weekend or he's in your rotation. So I really think it's, it's all over the map, you know. Um, I've seen guys on the other end too. Like you know, it's it's funny. You know, yeah, we'd have, and I, this happens at every level where you know you recruit a kid, and and you know, we we had perfect examples. My last year, we had a kid who um, you know we were really excited about my, my last year at Nichols. We we won a couple recruiting battles on him, had some Division One interest early in his career. You know, it was a kid that he run up to eighty eight, eighty nine, um, and he. You know, he had his, my, his one year with us, that was my last year. It's just that it, it, it wasn't right. Like, he, he, he struggled to get hitters out, and the command wasn't great. The basketball didn't play well. You know, and the kid lacked a confidence in those types of things. And, you know, but that was a, 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 a recruiting battle that we had with a lot of schools in, 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 in Division two and three level when we got that kid. You know, um, and then there's other kids on the other end of the spectrum who – no one else was recruiting, and you know, hey, he's seventy-eight to eighty-one, and there's some projection there, and he throws three pitches, um, and, and next thing you know, he's, you know, he's same thing. Maybe he's pitching eighty-four, eighty-five, um, but he's winning you games, and because it just it clicked for him, you know. Um, so it, it's it's really all over the map, you know, and I don't think you can necessarily pigeonhole it, you know, and. I think that, again, it goes back to handling a lot of names, you know. You recruit, you, when you're recruiting the Northeast and you see guys, and again, of course you're crossing some of those hiring talents off your list when you're at the Division three level. Um, but I, I also think that, you know, again, you're, you're, you cast a wide net, you shoot high, and, you know, maybe once in a while you're going to hit on one of those guys that you're not supposed to get. And though, that's how you, I think, really – build a, a get, get a strong program a really good recruiting class you can get one of those guys a class who can kind of put you over the top and then you get lucky on some of those other guys you know that maybe you don't think are going to be that but end up projected and being you know that's that's where it starts you know so again it, it, it obviously there's no science to recruiting i think we all know that um you know we can project you know, we work hard at that. We work hard seeing guys. Uh, we work, we work hard doing our homework, no doubt. But when that kid steps foot on campus, you know, it, 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 you, you don't know what it's going to be. He could be the most confident kid in the world and, but not have the best stuff. And then that kid's going and winning you games on the weekend. Or you could have a kid that's got great stuff, highly recruited, gets on the campus, gives up a couple barrels early in the fall and his career's never the same. And, it's it, it, that's what makes this you know such a challenge. So you you know again you just, you never know, and I think that it happens at every single level. You know, I I love just listening to guys talk about you know the kind of players they had and the type of talent that you have at each level because for people that haven't watched different levels of baseball. I just don't. I don't think that there's a proper understanding of the talent that that's really there. Like even at the Division three level, it's not like Division threes. Maybe there. I'm sure there are some that don't work very hard, don't recruit very hard, that maybe are like this. But it's not like you're gonna have a whole staff of guys that are upper seventies, low eighties. Like Division three teams might. They're they're gonna bring in, you know, guys that 
are typically you're, you're going to have more late bloomers there. You're going to have guys that that are really still on their way up and climbing. And by the time that they get to junior senior year, like you're going to see some velocity out of some guys. Sometimes you're going to see some position players that that have developed a lot physically that that have some pretty significant tools. And if you took them out of the Division three uniform, they could really be playing at other levels. And that's what I don't know that a lot of people appreciate or really understand about the Division three level. Um, but I do want to address something that people that I do think is a, a common thought, and I want to ask your honest opinion about it. You know, you'll hear people say that if if you if you want to play bad enough as a high school player, that there's a spot for you. There's some school out there somewhere that'll take you. And I'd like to just ask if you you know you're if you're at a Division three and you've got to bring in 40-plus guys on your roster, are you going to bring in some guys that that really maybe talent-wise aren't quite even to your level? They're not really exciting, but they just seem like they're, they're kind of high-energy guys. They're guys that you think would like to, you'd like to have them around the program. Don't know if they're going to play or not, but, hey, i got to fill a roster spot, and I don't think this kid's going to be a problem, so we're going to bring him in uh, just – not as a favor to the kid, but just because you you need some bodies, and I think this guy's gonna he's gonna fit into the club even if he never actually plays a game. Does that type of signing exist? Like if people were to just say to a player, like, "Hey, I know talent wise, maybe you're not um, you're a little bit short, but if you want to play bad enough, there's a roster spot for you somewhere." Is there is there some truth to that at the Division three level, Nick? Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, but I also think too, though, you know, and, and, and this is, you know, my, the, the other side of this answer, you know, kids, it, it goes back to like, you never know, right? It, when, when I was at Nichols, we were trying to recruit a kid that, you know, hey, maybe he's got one tool. Maybe he runs well. Maybe he can swing it through. Well. Maybe he's a good defender. Maybe he's undersized, like really undersized. Maybe he can just knock the bat out of his hand. He's not strong enough yet. We probably filled our roster with those guys more so than anything else, you know? And, and again, you know, it, it's it, those, those kids that truly want it bad enough, you know, are, are kids who will show up, they'll work their butt off and, and they can find themselves a role. We had a kid at Nichols who, um, I inherited, he was a freshman when I got there and, you know, he, there were never really any plans for him. You know, um, but he'd show up, he worked hard, you know, and, and, and again, I, and I think it, it, the, the, this type of kid um, is the minority because it doesn't always exist like this. Because for two years, he didn't play much. Um, his junior year, we started using him off the bench a little bit more. You know, he could hit a little bit, you know, and that's kind of what we used him as, but still, like, not a lot. But he's, he gutted it out, you know, and. His senior year, um, he he willed himself into being our DH and coming off the, the bench and, and having some big hits for us. And, you know, so he, he ended up having a, a, you know, at the end of the day, I look back at him and he, he's actually, he's a kid I still talk to because, you know, like those are the types of kids that you want to bring in your program. But you don't know if they're like that until they get there. And you don't know if they're like that until they deal with it for a year. Because, listen, we worked hard, you know. And, and, you know, we worked hard more than what some guys probably wanted to work. But this was a kid that still showed up and never really saw light at the end of the tunnel. And he competed his butt off. He was a great team guy. The guys loved him. And he willed himself into it, you know. So I, I, I think that if, if when I was at Nichols, we never took anybody just to really take anybody. There was a reason why we took them, you know, and maybe it was a tool. Maybe it was a half a tool, you know, and for, for maybe that kid can develop into that kid I, I just described to you, you know. So that was that was the way that we did it, you know, and, and you know, it, it, again, I, I just think that when you have, when the kid's truly that type of guy, they will find their way into contributing as their career goes on. But I think the problem is a lot of times, too, the kids don't have the patience for that. You know, so you don't truly know until they're there, and, and they're there for a couple of years, and you see it. Man, that kid that can go through that for a couple of years and not be contributing and not getting his name called and still go out and work hard and be a team guy and not get frustrated and not... Uh, not lean toward the man. What am I getting out of this type of thing? I mean, it's, I don't know that that's. 
there aren't many people out there just in general that can do that type of thing. You know, that they can really put the time and effort in and, and not really get anything back for themselves. And the kid that can grind that out, man, you're right. I, I think that they're just, they kind of will themselves into a spot sometimes. And, and I think that that kid is probably very, very grateful when they get the opportunity. And I think with the gratitude probably comes a little bit of confidence when they actually get into a game. Like, I've earned this, man. Like, I've worked my butt off to get here. Like, I'm not afraid to go take this at bat, you know? Yeah, no, no doubt, and and it is like you're right. It's it's a rarity. It's a rarity at any level, especially with the way things are now. I mean, maybe he wants to find another home. Maybe he wants to go somewhere where he can play. Um, but it's 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 just you know I'll always value um, that kid in in because again I go back to that and the work he put in the weight room and you know the, the way he you know the guys loved him and gravitated toward him and he, he became a real big piece of our club you know and and i remember i i remember saying to myself this is you know my mom the year he graduated and and i said to myself man like we that's we're missing him we're missing what he brings um because i think that it spoke volumes about our program and that hard-nosed work ethic where you don't know what's on the other end but you continue to work, compete, and grind, and and you know it, it all. That's the way I put it. If you if you just put yourself in the best position possible and you work hard, it will come out on the other end. But it's a lot easier said than done, especially when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, when you're 19, 20 years old. You know. Um, but if if you just worry about yourself and take care of yourself and work hard and try to work harder than everybody else, there will be light at the end of the tunnel. It's just getting those young guys to, to believe that, you know, they're not always patient for that. That's awesome. So, Nick, then you, you spent, you're at uh, Nichols State from, or Nichols College, sorry, from Nichols College from 2014 through 2018, and then you got hired at Northeastern. How'd you do that, man? How'd you get your hat in there? Like a Division One assistant jobs are not easy to come by, and when it seems like, you know, from my experience, when, when a job is opened, freaking everybody and their brothers applying for that thing and, and it's very difficult to jump levels especially from division three to division one how'd you do it how'd you get your name in there how'd you how'd you even become a candidate in this job well I, it's it, i think it just goes back to building a relationship you know um so i, I knew coach glavin and coach cobb our pitching coach our head coach mike glavin um for five, I mean, five six seven years since i was in it since I was I was in New England, you know, since I, I, I basically got into coaching, you know, I, I worked in Northeastern camps when I was when 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 I when I was at Wheaton, when I was at Nichols, um, you know, out on the road, you know, I'd see them constantly, and you know, we we we'd always talk, and same thing, like we were always talking, sharing names with each other, um, you know, and 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 again, like it, it's it was a, a a really good relationship that we built over the course of time, so. You know, when the job opened, I, I, I reached out to them and told them I was interested. And, you know, the rest kind of took care of itself. So it was like right place, right time. Um, and, again, it, it wasn't just like a, a random application. Um, it was, you know, we we had a really good relationship before that happened. I think it really helped with transition of the staff, too, when I got in there. Because I, I it wasn't like, hey, I, I'm – I'm new with these guys, you know, and I got to learn everything and how they tick. We had that type of relationship where where it was like almost plug and play, you know, and 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 that was great, you know, especially from like a recruiting standpoint. If you were to give some advice to guys right now, um, anybody out there who just you know wants to be at a higher level than they are, which is probably most coaches out there, even if you're a uh, you know, if you're a Division One assistant, there are still head jobs to get. But or you, you know, you can always get an assistant job at a higher level. I would say that most coaches, especially the guys that are out on the road recruiting, they have aspirations of of you know getting a better job at some point. Um, how do you kind of balance when you're out, Nick? When you when you're uh, recruiting and you're seeing guys that you realize are in a higher position than you, and maybe maybe there'll come a day when you might be able to send that text message and say, hey, man, you guys got a job. I'm interested if you're interested in talking to me. How do you balance talking to those coaches, developing the relationship with them, 
but not like selling out and, and pouring your resume out to them every time you see them. Do you know what I mean? Like how do you how do you kind of go about it to build a relationship to build a relationship as opposed to trying to plant seeds and lay groundwork for a job someday because it, I'm I'm you know I'm guessing if most people are like me, I'm more impressed with somebody who just like does their job and shows me how they work as opposed to someone who wants to tell me how hard they work and tell me all these things that they're doing. Like it's pretty evident when someone's talking to you because they think they can get something from you as opposed to just, hey, man, we're at the same place and let's let's just let's talk a little bit type of thing. How do you balance that even now as an assistant coach? But, it, you know, back then when you were kind of laying that groundwork, whether or not you knew you were doing it. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail right on the head. Like, it needs to be a genuine relationship. And, and you know, I, I think that that's, that's the biggest piece. I, I was never selling myself uh, to Coach Glad. You know, like, that was that was never, you know, what, what you know, I, I, that was never, you know, my my purpose of, of having a relationship. You know, me, Coach Glad, and Coach Pat, the, the relationship that we built over time, it was more so... You know, it, it, it was never, and I think that's probably why I'm in the position that I'm in now, where it's, you know, I, I it was it probably, you know, it was a, it wasn't ever like a, a, a sell job on my end. You know, I I'd see a guy, I tell him about a guy who obviously was was a higher end uh, player, you know, and you know they would do the same or with the player at their camp or whatever it might be. I showed up to their, I, I worked their camps, and I. I Work my butt off, you know, and, and again, just you show up, you do everything they ask me, you go beyond that, and that's how you build the re- reputation. And I think that's the biggest piece, you know, where it kind of takes care of itself. Again, it goes back to that whole theme where, you know, if you work hard, people notice. You know, if you're on the road recruiting and you're everywhere and you're at, you're at the ballpark until 1130 at night, and, and, you know, it, it, it's, that goes noticed, you know, and, but it also goes noticed if you're that other guy and you're just worried about the next job. And I think that's something that I never really worried about, you know, was, was the next job. And, you know, I, I worked hard. I enjoyed where I was at, at Nichols. I enjoyed working at Nichols. I enjoyed being a head coach. I, I loved building a program there. Um, and, and I worked really hard at it. And, and, you know, I, I I think that obviously it, it drew some attention. You know, and and again, like that's that that's my piece of advice. It's as cliche as it is. You know, just worry about where your feet are, and and pour everything into it. You know, um, and and it is. It takes a lot of sacrifice, and um, it's not easy. You know, and and it will it will impress the right people. You know, and. Um, of course, in the back of my mind, I always knew I wanted to be at Division One level. You know, especially when I first started doing this, that that was the goal. So I always kind of thought to myself, "Hey, you know, um, people take notice. You know, and, and if the right people take notice, and you know, you can have a conversation with them, and then it leads to them calling you about guys, and vice versa. You're in a really good spot. You know, but it, I think that." You can't be worried about that next job. You're going to be worried about being awesome at the job you got and bleeding your program, or, or whether you're a head coach or an assistant, and working your butt off and talking to the right people. You know, um, so I think that that also helped me too. You know, with some of the travel coaches in the area who probably had a lot of a lot of good things to say about me to Coach Lavin. Um, about hey that guy recruits his butt off you know he's going to do the same for you that's a good hire you know and so you're going to get the right people saying the right things about you not just hey he's a nice guy and no it's going to be the hey he's a worker he's an animal worker uh he's a relentless recruiter and and you know he, he bleeds baseball you know and i think that those are the things that that the reputation you want to have and build you know obviously you have to have some personality as well and and and, and, and be able to have a conversation with those people and for them to know you, you have to be a little outgoing. Um, but I think that I, I think it's more about the, the body of work that you put together, the things you do, and that's that's what, I, in my mind, allowed me to be in the position that I'm in today. When you're out recruiting now, obviously, <laughs> that's a... Uh... 
That's a, that's a fine point for probably another question. Because of COVID, you haven't been out recruiting. But when you recruit now, well, just at any point, even as, a, as the head coach at Nichols, when you've been out for Northeastern, when you're able to go out and recruit again, are you sort of keeping your eye out for someone that you might want to hire in the future, whether, you know, just say your pitching guy leaves or your volunteer leaves or whatever. Are you someone that goes out and as you're recruiting, you're sort of taking mental note, like, hey, if a position opens, this is a guy we need to call or that's a guy we need to call. Are you sort of recruiting other coaches as well at the same time uh, right now as, as, you know, you're out watching players? Are you also kind of taking note on coaches as well? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that that's something that we, you know, it's not so much, you know, taking notes on or taking notice, but again, it goes back to building a relationship. I I think that you, as coaches, you want to hire people that you you trust. You want to hire people that you have a relationship with and people that have a track record of doing a nice, doing a good job. So, you know, I I think that that's, that's, that's basically it. You know, I, I think that, you know, especially, you know, when when you're in this when you're in this position, and um, you know, where you, you build relationships, you build some friendships with it as well. And you know, a, a lot of my a lot of colleagues I consider friends. We pick up the phone, we call each other a couple times a week, and you know that, that those relationships that you build, you know, obviously, you know, when when a job comes up or anything, it's it's that name comes up because of that relationship, you know. Um, but again, like you, obviously, you, you see the same guys who work hard. You take note of that, um, you know. And and again, it's it's. I, I think that it evolves into something more. You know, it evolves into somebody you shoot a text to. You know, every couple of weeks, you pick up the phone and call. Yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, we we all have a bunch of them. You know, who, when we're in the car, we pick up the phone, we call them, have conversations, or shoot them a text and see how things are going. Hey, did you see this happen? And like. I think that it's, it builds that way, you know, more so than anything else, you know, and, and then when those, when those opportunities come up, it's, you know, you generally say, I, I think you'd be great at this job or whatever it might be, or maybe, maybe a job opens up somewhere else and, and you know that guy and you help, you can help them get that job, you know, so I, I, I do think that that's, that's, that, that's generally how I look at it, you know, and, and the people that are in your circle, you kind of build that circle, um, and, 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 and that's where those relationships really happen. If you're a head coach right now and you had to make a hire, what are the odds on a scale of 1 to 10 that you would hire a guy you have never met? That's a good question. I know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things that can be to that, but I just I kind of want to what I kind of want to get to is just you know you've been in a position to hire people as a head coach, You're more likely to hire a guy that you know or don't know. So a guy applies, he's got a good resume, but he doesn't you don't know him and he doesn't necessarily know anybody that you know type of type of a deal. Uh, maybe he's from out of your area, so you don't know any of his contacts personally. What are the odds you you would you would hire that guy as opposed to someone that you previously knew and had some had some um at least a little bit of a feel for what he was like yeah well i I can say this too jeff where you know you you go play somebody you know on a weekend series and you know whatever it was maybe you know they did a good job and you know they, they 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 handed it to you that weekend or they were super competitive they had a really good plan they had a really good approach um, and, and you take note of that as, as a coach. Like, hey, he does a really good job with with the, with, the, with the pitching staff. Hey, they do a really nice job as an offense, you know. Um, and and I think that you know, knowing that and, and, and identifying that, and then obviously, you know, that that's something that can help. You know, like it, it, I I think that just clear out of the blue, somebody that applies for a job, it's it's really low odds, right? But maybe you've played those guys, or, or you know, again, and you 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 respect the job they do, or you know, maybe you do. You see them out recruiting, and maybe you haven't built that relationship with them, and you see some of the players that they've brought in and committed, and you know, that's that's something that hey, they're getting good players over there. They do a really nice job. They do a good job over there. So maybe that's something along the lines, you know, that allows that you to get that next job or whatever it might be. Um, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. 
And that I, I'm, I'm interested in that because I think that as a college coach, it's just a fine line. It's it's like the recruiting side of things in a way, but you know you want to you want to do a good job. You want to be where your feet are, but at the same time, like you've got to you've got to find a way to develop some relationships. You've got to find a way to meet some people. You've got to find a way to to kind of get your name out there a little bit and get some positive word of mouth. You know, if a job does pop open, and and that's always something that that feels elusive at times to certain coaches. So I just think it's an interesting conversation as to kind of how you kind of get that ball rolling. Um, so Nick, it, now at Northeastern, we've spent a lot of time talking about else, you know, your other stops and things that you've done. But now at Northeastern, you you coach the offense. And you know you handle a lot of the recruiting. We've talked about recruiting a little bit at the Division Three side of things, but I want to kind of talk about the offense, just what you do with the offense. And, you know, an abbreviated season last year, you had all of 2019. Um, what are what are some focal points when when you coach? You're, you're talking about coaching the Northeastern offense. What are some focal points that you believe that you guys have to focus on, have to make a priority for you to be the best? offense that you can be like if I were to talk to some of your players and say hey what are some important points for this offense to be really good what are some things you need to be good at what would your players say you know I think I think it starts right away with we say offense right it's it's not just hitting there's a lot of things that go into a to a really successful offense you know um I, I like to think you know I, I even say to the guys you know we, we've got an approach-based offense you know, and how we're going to approach each pitcher that we see, whether it's in the batter's box or on the bases, right? Um, so we we put we put a, lot, a very strong emphasis in our program on our approach and what our approach is going to be pitcher to pitcher, um, what our approach at the plate is going to be pitcher to pitcher, what our approach on the bases is going to be pitcher to pitcher, right? Um, we we recruit and love athleticism. We're going to be very, we want to be very athletic. Um, we want to run the bases hard. We want guys who've got good feel and poise on the bases that can steal bases to make pitchers have to hold runners, um, and take their attention off the, delivering a pitch, right? Um, I think that, again, I, I think that from our standpoint in the batter's box, again, I think when you talk about an offense one through nine, okay, everyone does something a little bit different. You know, and, and it's our goal, I think as a coaching staff, to be able to maximize what that ability is, um, in the offense, right? You're gonna have guys who are speedsters, who handle the battle of more, they're gonna bunt base hit, they're gonna put constant pressure on. Well, we wanna develop that, we've gotta make sure we're doing a good job with that. that. That guy's probably not a guy who's hitting the ball in the air. We want him to be a little bit more on the line, maybe some 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 hard power ground balls, and kind of build the swing that way. Um, and then you're going to have guys who are going to try to drive runs in um, and be RBI guys and can leave the park. And we're going to build that swing maybe a little bit differently, um, you know. But uh, again, I, I I I think we we like to think that we're an aggressive offense. Okay. Um, we want to be aggressive in the box. We want to be aggressive on the bases. Um, and, and again, it's 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 a, the whole thing that goes into it. It's, it, it being able to execute, um, whether it be with a runner on third base, less than two. Um, we want to execute, you know, our our, our bunt base hits, a sack bunt. Like, and, and you're gonna work on. You can talk about that stuff all you want, but you've got to work on that stuff as much as you can. You know, and 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 again, if if you want to be good at something, it better be a focus point. In, in, in practice, it better be a focus point um, on your day to day message to, to your hitters. Um, I think that that's that that's the big part in all of it, you know. Um, but again, it's I, I like to think, you know, it, it's and don't get me wrong, like we work with guys individually, especially the younger guys. Um, but it's it's about identifying what you are as an offensive player, um, and in in growing and developing that. You know, and, 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 yeah, hey, are you going to have guys that are just freaks and animals that can literally do everything? That can hit for power, hit for average, run the bases, speed, like, yeah, and, and you know what? That's, that's a pro, you know? Um, that's a special player. And if you can have one of those guys every four years, you know, you're, you're, you're going to, you're in good shape, you know, but we've got to find a way to maximize that 
develop those guys and find what they're really good at um, and develop it too, you know. And, and, you know, maybe some guys, as I said, I think that some guys come in and they start um, is one thing. Maybe they're, they're really weak, you know, and, and but they're, they run really well. They had a good frame, but you can knock the bat out of their hands as a freshman. Well, his job is bunt base hit, get the ball on the ground, get the ball on the line a little bit, and get on base. Well, that kid puts 20 pounds on over two years. All of a sudden, he's driving gaps now because he, he, he developed a simple swing. He bought into our approach at the plate, and now all of a sudden, he's a fringy 300 hitter with 25 stolen bases. And, 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 and again, but we, we, we built off of what that skill set was. Right, so I think it starts with identifying it, and then it kind of grows from there. Um, you know, it, 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 so again, yeah, I think that you know, again, when you're talking about describing us as an offense, you know, we want to be we we, we want to be multi-dimensional. Um, we don't want to be a one-trick pony. We want to be good at a. We're going to have guys in our lineup one through nine that can do that. It's not the same hitter. And it, it, we, we want to make sure, and it's not the same base runner. And we want to make sure, and we want that, so that teams have to prepare for that. You just said some things that are extremely unpopular on social media. And I, I do like to address this when it comes up in a podcast. Because part of what Figured Out Baseball is about is helping people to figure some things out. And I think that there's a lot of things that are promoted or that are crucified on social media that it's just not reality of college baseball. Maybe maybe it's the reality of Major League Baseball, but it's not the reality of college baseball. You just talked about developing an offense that includes guys that steal bases, guys that bunt, guys that are taught to hit line drives, and, and even you're okay with some guys that hit the ball hard in the ground. Like those things, so there are people on social media that just um, would have a field day if they read that because oh, the, you can never bunt. You can't. You shouldn't be bunting at fourteen years old in a travel tournament. Like those those types of guys are everywhere and they're loud and they're and they're very convincing sometimes. I think to the to certain crowds. So when you're when you're recruiting kids or a kid gets on campus and he's heard that over and over again, like, this is not how baseball is now, man. You don't, you don't steal bases. You don't bunt. You don't bunt in baseball anymore. It's, that's 30 years ago. Like, it's not how the game is today. What's your reaction to that? And maybe you sort of already talked about it a little bit, I think, but what's your reaction? Or even if you were speaking to some kids that, that just hear that right now on social media, how can you ch- change their mind for me? Tell, tell them why those things are still a part of college baseball and why they're important. Important. Well, yeah, I mean, I think in, in listen in, in the major league, the major league level, um, you're talking about the elite of the elite defenders in the infield, right? That shortstops who are fielding nine ninety, nine ninety five, guys who don't kick the ball, you know. Um, and you're talking about shifts to the extent where, hey, you know what? We shift, we believe in it, um, but the data on that end at the major league level is a lot deeper, right? Um, a ball on the ground isn't out in the big leagues. It happens. Um, but, you know, watch a playoff game and watch the playoffs in Major League Baseball and what guys do with two strikes, how they shorten up, the way those guys play the game, right? You can talk about, you know, when that game really mattered last year, Mookie Betts with the stolen base and then the contact three to third base. To, I mean, what a play, electric, right? Those things still do exist, Right and 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 listen, it, it's it's you know from our standpoint and, and what we're trying to do at the end of the day, like hey, you know we want guys who want to be professional baseball players, and you know we're going to have them every year, but you you don't have nine of them in your lineup, and when you do, you've got a really special team. You know, I, I look at it this way, and, and I hope this is answering your question. You know, the same kid I was just talking to you about as a freshman, who's a left-handed hitting shortstop. And, um, you know, his freshman years wasn't really, wasn't that strong and, and, and needed to get a lot stronger. Um, and it was left-handed hitting, right-handed throw, so the top hand was a little bit weaker. And, you know, over the court, you know, and, and again, like, so with that swing, and I think that it doesn't matter what it is. I, I talked with our guys, like, I don't care what you do, right, but we've got to be on the barrel consistently, 
right? We've got to be on the barrel in good, solid contact. And we put goals on it with whatever we're doing, whether it's a high success rate, low success rate drill, whatever it is. High success rate. If you're not on the barrel three or four out of five in that round, then we've got to simplify. And we've got to make it simple, right? And, and listen, I, I am a guy. We, we believe in, in data and technology. I, I like bat centers. We, I, I do like exit velocity. But my thing comes down to we gotta we've got to um, maximize an exit velocity. How does that? How did this guy hit the ball the hardest? And what does he have to do? A good swing is a good swing, you know. And and my belief, and I think our belief is that that ball starts traveling a lot more, a lot further off that bat with a good swing when you when you become an animal in the weight room. You gotta be stronger, you gotta be faster, more physical. But you gotta be simple at first. You know, and, and you gotta work on the line and you've gotta work on repeating that. Then as you do that, then guys can get listen, we like we like, you know, guys hitting balls in the gaps and over the fence just as much as anybody. But you've gotta be able you've got to build that swing and you've gotta you've gotta do so where it's hey, you know what you know what some guys don't. Some guys stay. With 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 you know, uh, a more on top on the ground based on our approach, but as you get stronger, right, and you continue to develop physically, that's where you see it. it's 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 special when you see that freshman who is you know uh, uh, you know not really there physically yet, and then in a matter of twelve months, a little bit more physically, he's handling the bat a little bit more like. I think it comes down to, you know, like you hear, you know, like, like the, one of the buzzwords is barrel awareness, right? And you've got to be able to, his handle in the barrel, well, you've got to be strong to handle the barrel too. You know, and, and, and strength's a big thing. And knowing what it means just to be on the barrel consistently, that's something that we want We want all of our guys to be able to do. You know, and, and, and again, like if, if we're doing it in BP, you know, with me throwing or, you know, with, with someone else throwing or like that swing has to translate to when we get off the machine. And when it's not coming at you at 95 and it's explosive and, you know, now we're talking about a success rate of, you know, one out of five because the machine's nasty, you know, and then it transfers to in game. Right? It doesn't matter. Like, we talk about the whole exit velocity side. And, and you know, I, I like exit velocity and I like the, the, the stat average exit velocity. Because that tells you how repeatable a guy's swing is. Right? So we can pull out all those balls that are hitting the air and, and, and kind of see, you know, what that exit, the max exit velocity is and that average exit velocity. Well, if those things are so far apart, that just means that, hey, we got to simplify, keep him a lot simpler and get him. To, to basically be, um, you know, uh, more on the barrel and, and, and not try to do too much, right? And, and I think that that's, that's something that kind of gets lost in all this. The, the, the data and the technology is great, you know, and, and, and again, I think we utilize it very well. Um, but it's, it's what you do with it and how, and how, and how it, you know, you transcribe it. If a, if a kid, yeah, he's the best bullet. He can, he can hit a ball at 95, but, He's got so many missed barrels, and, he, and his average exit velocity is at, you know, 70, 75. There's a lot of missed hits in there. So we got to get him consistently on the barrel, and we got to simplify. And then it goes back to the whole two-strike thing, you know. And um, we talk about two strikes and hitting with two strikes. You know, I still believe, and you got to put the ball in play with two strikes, you know. Um, you talk about two-strike batting averages and, and, and then the bat with two strikes in college baseball. If you put a ball in play with two strikes, you've got roughly a 33% chance of getting a hit. You know, so yeah, we're going to do some things within our approach to have to, you know, grind, compete a little bit and put a ball in play. And you see the same thing. When those games start mattering a lot more in, in, um, in, 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 in professional baseball, you start seeing some more of those things start coming out from the base running side, you know, the little things, the attention to detail, those things come out when those games really matter. That's awesome stuff. Um, I want to ask you about something you talked about a little bit ago. Just to, uh, you, you work on and you talk about 
the approach of your hitters a lot. And you even talk about approach of base runners, but let's talk about approach for hitters a little bit. Um, I don't believe that a lot of people, well, that as many people as they should, know what it means to have an approach. Can you talk to me, just generally speaking, what does it mean to have an approach and maybe give it a couple of examples of different situations that that might bring about a different approach for a hitter? Like, what does it mean to have an approach? What does that mean? And it's cool. Well, I, I, yeah, so I, I think now, too, so, you know, it, it's really evolved, especially in college baseball, the Division One level, where... You know, we, we've got great video software, and we can see what a pitcher is going to do, right? Is, is he sinking and sliding at the bottom of the zone? Is is he living at the top of the zone? Um, do these guys pitch away and live away, you know? And, and you know, it, for instance, you know, you still look at the numbers, you know, in college baseball. And I, I want to say uh, in, in 2019, you know, still roughly 70%-ish, um, might be like 71, 72% of the fastballs you see are on the outside part of the plate. Um, so you've got to be able to, to own the, out, the outer half in college baseball because you're still going to get a lot out there, you know. And um, being able to do those things and, and, and then identify a, a pitcher and what they're doing, hey, this guy's really doing a nice job at the top of the zone. He's got a fastball that's 92, 92, 93, but it's playing 97 up there. You know, so we might have to approach that a little bit differently. Maybe we've got to see that ball a little more down or really emphasize, um, you know, keeping our hands above it, you know. Um, as far as, and again, it varies team to team, you know, are you trying to see the ball out and trying to get the ball in front a little more? You're trying to see it a little bit deeper, you know. Um, I think the best way to describe what we want to be off that, we're selectively aggressive. We're going to we're gonna hit good hitters' pitches within our approach, Right. And, and, and we're going to take good pitches, pitches until we get two strikes. Um, and you're going to train that way. And I, I think that that's probably the biggest thing. Jeff, you said guys don't understand what approach is. That's just not practiced enough, you know. And you got to do it in practice, you know. And, and you know, we, we talk about you know, our different approaches that we have with hitters. And, you know, it might be around a BP where we go in there and maybe I'm, me or Coach Glab are out there throwing and, and we're, we got something on it, or maybe we got the machine out there, and you know we're making guys look look at a certain zone, up, down, you know, in, out, and then they're spitting in the zone that they're not that, that they're taking in. And um, I think that working on those things is is vital. You know, it, it's listen, it, going and taking swings is important. You need to feel good as a hitter. You got to build confidence, and build your swing. You know, so those things are important, right? So whether it's off the tee, some front toss, some feel-good BP. Like, those things are really important, but you've got to work and build the approach side in. Where are you looking for pitches? Are you working on them in practice, right? And and, and are we working on identifying and, and, and seeing the ball up or seeing the ball down or seeing the ball in and out? Um, do we know what we've got to do when we're seeing a sinker slider guy and seeing the ball in the middle of the play or seeing a really high spin guy um, that's pitching at the top of the zone? Have we worked on that and identified that? And those are the things. Uh, have, you know, do, you, do you work on sitting off speed and, and, and being able to do those things? So I, I just think that that's you got to work on those things if if you're, you want to truly believe in an approach-based offense. If I don't have an approach going to the plate, how can you identify that? Like, or if I'm listening to this podcast as a player or a coach, and I'm like, I don't know if I don't know if I necessarily have an approach or not. Like, what are some things that you see from a guy that doesn't have an approach? Like, tell me, tell me why it's so important. Because if you don't have an approach, this is what's going to happen to you. Well, I just think that you have those free swingers, you know, and you know, you get a team now that starts that that you know you're looking out over the plate, and you know they get in on you, and you swing at that pitch, and you. You know, you're an easy out. You're, you hit a free hopper to, you know, the, the shortstop or the third baseman, and, and you know, and, and, and it's it's very identical. Or right, you take that first pitch fastball for a strike, and then the next pitch here comes the breaking ball, and you swing over it. Like those, those to me are no approach. Or you can you can tell when you have a guest hitter at the plate, and you know, just someone who's just always swinging out of their shoes on one pitch, and they're on something that they shouldn't be on. You know, um, but then their next at bat, they look ridiculous because they're trying to do the same thing and, and they got a different pitch. And, and again, it's, uh, it's, it's trusting it. It's worth it. 
to me, you have got to constantly talk about it, you know, and, and I think that that's the biggest piece. And, you know, it, it, it's, you need to constantly talk about it with your guys. It needs to be a daily message um, that, that allows them to understand. It's not easy. It's not easy. You know, it, no one's going to come in from high school with an advanced approach. It's just, it just doesn't happen, you know? You gotta build it, you gotta work on it. And some guys see the ball better than others. Some guys make some better swing decisions. We call it just commanding the strike zone. But I do think it's something that you can get better at, and I think we've seen guys do it. Um, you know, again, it's just, you can tell when guys are just up there free swinging by seeing some of those swings that they take or some of the takes that they have, right? The takes is, something that I used to pay attention to I mean probably as much as the pitches that they swung at the pitches that they took you know if you know a hitter if you get to know a hitter a little bit that you're recruiting and you you know what his strengths are and you see him take pitches that he is not going to be able to handle well and he's taking them for that reason not just because he's you know kind of up there uh guessing and he guessed wrong or whatever. If you're taking pitches for a specific reason because either you can't handle that pitch or that's not the pitch you were expecting in that account or whatever it is, I think that's as much um, a part of of having an approach as as the pitches that you swing at. One last thing, Nick, that I just want to ask you that um, I, I put an incredible amount of stock into as a as the coach of an offense myself in the past when I've had that opportunity in college and as a high school coach is the two-strike approach. What changes with two strikes? Are, are, are your guys making physical adjustments? Are they making uh, mental adjustments? Are they adjusting which pitch they're sort of they're sort of timing up or, or not sitting on, but but they're they're ready timing wise for this particular pitch? Like what changes with your guys with two strikes? Well, I, I think the biggest thing, right, is is and and there's there's no wrong answer to this. You know, I, I think it's how you want to coach it. But I do think that an adjustment has to be made. To me, two strikes is a mentality. And it's a toughness in that box and commanding the box, right? Um, we've got to trust ourselves. We've got to trust our depth. We've got to, we've got to see the baseball. We've got to be okay taking an uncomfortable, ugly swing on a pitch. Um, and, and you're competing your butt off, you know? And, and if you're, if you're tougher, and you keep competing and seeing pitches, um, you know, and, and, and you aren't afraid to take that ugly swing where, where you know, it's, you know, basically, hey, i, I got to try following this ball into the, the to the oppo dugout, you know. Um, it, you will get that pitch, and a mistake will be in, but we're not going to be the offense that gives in, right? That, that's going to kind of be the mindset. I really leave it to the guys as far as physical adjustments go. You know, now there are guys, you get up on the knob, you widen up your stance, you get on top of the plate. Like, and some of our guys do that. And I, I'd probably say the majority of guys do something. Um, but to me, it's, it's the mentality piece, right? And, and it's the same thing. Like, you've got to work on it. You've got to work on it. You know, 52% of it bats in 2019 or maybe it's 2020, um, 52% of your bats go to two strikes, you know, and, and, I think last year might have been a tick below in 2020. Um, but, I mean, obviously half of your swings get to two strikes. So that's, a, that's an approach that you, you should be working on daily. And whatever it is, it needs to be a clear approach. It's going to be a tough competitive mindset, you know. And, and, and again, it's, it's, it's something that you have to work on. And, and you have to work on taking an uncomfortable swing. You have to work on whatever that approach is. You know, I know some, some teams, you know, sit off speed. Some teams sit fastball. You know, whatever it is, you need to work on that daily. And if you're a coach that's making your guys make that physical adjustment, it's something that you have to work on daily because it is such an important part. And not just like, hey, getting your two-strike approach and here's groove fastballs. It needs to be, hey, we're going to get the machine dialed up here. We got a really good slider here, um, or we got two machines going, and, and you know we've got to, we just got to have a really tough approach right here. Or maybe you're from short distance, you got a DP guy throwing, and he's mixing in and out, and like that's something that you have to work on daily, in my opinion. 
I agree in the two strike piece. I'm sure you've seen this as well, but there are it, it always kind of amazed me. But also, it, like this is when I knew guys were buying into the two strike approach. Hitter uh, offenses that I've coached in the past, when your hitters really get comfortable with a two strike approach, you'll see guys that'll take their two strike approach. In every in every count, basically, now and they'll tell you that as the hitting coach, they're like, man, I, I feel more comfortable with my two strike approach than my normal approach. Like, I'm gonna start doing it all the time, and of course, you don't want guys to get, um, you still want guys to be able to drive the ball, but but some of the the mental approach, I think, is a lot of it, and and what they're, you know, I think when guys make the mental adjustment, especially, it's a it's a comfortable place to be sometimes, and when your guys are comfortable with two strikes then I think they're more confident with no strikes and one strike to be able to look for a pitch they can really drive. And if they don't get it, they're okay spitting on a borderline pitch because they know that they can handle themselves with two strikes and they still have a chance to get on base. And if you have a, you know, if you coach your offense in a way that is a overall offense and not just a bunch of good hitters, guys that understand what it takes to be a good offense, your hitters know that if I just find a way on base, like that's the ultimate goal. I don't mind going to two strikes and fighting for a way to get on base because I know I can still help the team there. And it's just amazing how these things just sort of, they link together and, and one thing sort of leads to another and when you really get guys to buy into these different things, how it it like it translates into different parts of their offensive game. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think I think guys too that you know you, you you talk about seeing the baseball right and, and trusting themselves. I think two strikes is where where it can really develop and and, and they can really both understand because that, that that's a part of this whole thing too is you know guys don't understand you know even like points of contact and where they can hit the baseball you know or what it truly means and and again like yeah there's a such thing as seeing the ball too deep there's a such thing as seeing the ball way too out in front. You know, so it, it, it's it's just finding that from hitter to hitter, and I do. I think that that two strike approach it, it's it can help them see the ball better because it, it's a, it's a lot simpler, and and you're just really focused on 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 on, on really not trying to do too much there. This is Nick Puccio, everybody. He's an assistant coach at Northeastern University, uh, Division One in the Colonial Athletic Association, uh, based in Boston. Nick, this has been awesome. If you if you've been listening to this whole thing, I think you probably saw what I did. Uh, an in, an intelligent guy who's energetic, confident in yourself, and and has. You know, you've done enough things and been at different levels and have experienced success and failures to a point where, you know, it feels like you've got really, you've got things really boiled down to what you believe works. And, and obviously, uh, you know, for anybody that, that looks at Northeastern, you guys got off to a, a fast start in 2020 and look forward to seeing that uh, again from you. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens to you and the team going forward. But this has been a, a fun podcast. I've learned a lot from you and, um, you know, I'm excited to see what happens with you and obviously hope to have you back on another podcast again. There's a lot of stuff that we could have uh, gotten into that we didn't today. And there, there's always enough. It seems like there's always enough um, content for, for two to three podcasts when you get the right guy on here. But, but Nick, I want to thank you for everything that you shared and the time that you gave us today. It's been very, very enjoyable. No, it was great, Jeff. Like I told you before we got on, uh, just love getting on, talking baseball and and. and you know, talking about some ideas, and, and it was great to be on. I really enjoyed it, and I, I appreciate you having me on.